0: If you guys can come back to your seats, but remain standing, please. Remain standing. Uh, we're going to start our time with a scripture reading. And if you brought your Bible, you can pull it out and go along. If not, we have it here on PowerPoint. Uh, also, we have free Bibles sitting around. If you don't have one, feel free to take one. But let's listen to what Philippians chapter 2 says. Starting with verse 5 says, Christ Jesus, who although he he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Amen. You guys have a seat. You know, there's so many things. There's so many things that I love about Jesus. I love the way he just speaks truth. I love how gracious and merciful he is. I love how he picks out the untouchables of society. I love how he answers a question With a question. I love that he spoke to a blind man and said, What do you want me to do for you? Because he was tugging on the man's heart, provoking desire. There's so many things I love about Christ that have caused me to go all in with him. But there's one thing about Christ that so moved the heart of God that it stands out. And and here's the main point. That I want to say here today. The humiliation, the humiliation of Jesus is what causes God the Father to lead the entire universe in worshiping the Christ. Think about this word, humiliation. It's a big word, right? Think about the most humiliating moment you've ever had in your life. Put it in your mind right now. Is there a lot to choose from? I got a lot of moments to choose from. I'm going back and forth, striking out with the bases loaded was bad. Saying something totally stupid in front of friends and being laughed at was bad. Having Missy Stockton, the tallest girl in the fifth grade like me, Because I was the shortest guy. It's like, hi. There are so many humiliating moments. And you know what? Most of us, most of us expend a lot of energy and have spent a lot of time avoiding humiliation. And Jesus Christ chose from the very beginning a path of humiliation And that is what caused God, will cause God, to one day lead the universe in celebration. Today we begin this new series called A Glorious Humiliation because it is glorious. I get to speak today on the beauty, the beauty of Christ's humiliation. Next week we'll look at the drama of his humiliation. When we celebrate, Christmas on December 22nd, we'll talk about the joy of humiliation. And then on the 29th, we're going to give an invitation to humiliation. I love that title, I gotta admit. My uh, that's, and that's your birthday? That's my mom's birthday. God bless her. Man. God bless me. God bless you. Amen. we will be inviting all of us to follow the footsteps of Jesus and to expend our lives in a path of humiliation. So I'm sure that will be a wildly popular talk. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. Today what we're doing is called Christology. Let's go big picture here. Christology is the study of the Christ. That was a softball. Theologians like to break Christology into stages. It'll help us to understand his humiliation, to understand these stages. We have the preexistence of Jesus. Before he became incarnate, before he came down as a man, he existed eternally with God the Father. His pre-existence was followed by the season, the stage of his humiliation. And then that was followed by his resurrection and ascension to God the Father. That's called his exaltation. So let's narrow in now on humiliation. Humiliation goes from leaving heaven and being born. It's from his birth, his incarnation, Latin, which means in flesh, God became man. That was the beginning of his humiliation, being human. I'll try to unpack that. How humiliating it is for God to become man. And then it extends through his entire life and death and burial. So let's define humiliation. The humiliation of Christ. The Son of God leaving heaven, emptying himself of glory to become human. That's the incarnation serve the needs of humanity, and ultimately to die on the cross. As we begin to think about this, I want us to look forward to that invitation to humiliation and realize that Jesus Jesus is a model to us. It is a model of how to do life. And this was not... Obvious when I first became a Christ follower, when I said, Lord, I'm going to follow you in age 17, said, OK, you're the king. You died for me. You love me. I'm going to follow you. What I meant by following you was showing up on a Sunday and experiencing worship and teaching and reading my Bible. What I did not have in my mind with following Jesus was walking this path of humiliation Do you see what I mean? Those are two distinct things. Later, when I became all in for Jesus, and I realized I wanted to center everything in my life around him, and I prayed this prayer, which kinda not sure if you wanna pray this prayer or not. I say that tongue in cheek, but I prayed Lord, whatever it's going to cost, whatever it's going to take, make me like Jesus. And I imagine in my mind, God looking down and saying, really? I mean, all right. So you're asking for abandonment and loneliness. And you're asking for sorrow. You're asking for scorn. That's what we mean as we look at following Christ's example of humiliation. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. It's kind of funny how we do Christmas, isn't it? When you imagine that Christmas is all about humiliation, that's what this is all about. Christ humbles himself to become human. It's kind of like, I know this guy, Jesus. And man, what an epic humiliation he experienced. So I got you a present. I mean, that's what we do. We celebrate because of how it affects us and what it has done for us. So, Christ's humiliation should affect us the way it affects God. It should cause us to celebrate and to worship Christ's birth was the first step down this path, this lonely path of humiliation, finally leading to this image, the image of bearing his cross. Forty years ago, when I began this journey, this image painted before my eyes from a former gang member in New York City just captured my heart. And now, today, it still captures my heart. So I feel like humanity has entered an art museum. And we're looking at all the wonderful things that we can see on Earth and in history. And I come to this image on canvas, on a wall, and I just stop. And I can't move on because he did this for you and for me, and it takes my breath away. So after the longest introduction in the history of all of my teachings, I would like to pray for you uh, as I try to unpack what this is all about. Can you close your eyes? God, we thank you. We thank you that something beautiful is here, something deep is here, something that I can't possibly unpack or guide us to with sufficient clarity to make sense of beauty and glory and love. But I ask you to speak through me to all of us, and we pray that in the great name of Jesus, amen. All right, here's the first thing I want you to see. Christ's glorious humiliation is seen in his birth. Christ's glorious humiliation is seen in his birth. John one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This scripture is an amazing thing that John, his closest friend and follower wrote. In the beginning, John takes us back to the book of Genesis, to the creation of the world, and he says, back at that point, Jesus, the Word, existed. He was with God and is God. And that phrase, the Word, in the Greek language is the word logos. And logos was a culturally understood word. It's from Greek philosophy. It's as if the Greeks looked out at the universe, and even if they didn't believe in a god, if they believed in multiple gods, as the Greeks did, they saw that there was a wisdom, a beauty, a rationality, a something that held the universe all together, and they called that the Logos. And so when John comes along writing his gospel and wanting to explain to us Who Jesus is, he takes us not only back to the book of Genesis to say that he always existed, but he takes us to Greek philosophy, and he says, that thing that you know, that thing that you recognize instinctively, we know that there's this beauty and order, even with the randomness and sinfulness of life, we can see it. And John says, that logos, the word, is Jesus Now, God the Father and God the Son have the talk. I'm not talking about the birds and the bees. But God the Father and God the Son had a talk. And it was before time began. It was before creation. They had a discussion. And we know this from various scriptures. I want to warn you before we look at this book and this verse in Revelation. Revelation is nasty difficult and is full of imagery and confusing things. So I'm going to try to help us not to get distracted as we look at Revelation 13 verse 8. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. That's what we're not talking about. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. There's an image that there's this book, the book of life, and there's space for every person's name in it. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Do you see what this is saying? It's not that Jesus was actually put to death before the world was created. It is saying that God the Father and God the Son looked forward in time and knew that the universe would fall, knew that humanity would turn away from God, and decided at that point that Jesus, the Lamb of God, would enter human history and would be slain. They had this conversation. They had the talk. And I wonder how that went. The father asks the son, where are you going to go? And Jesus answers, to the Jews, to the smallest little people group, the weakest people group that I can find, that's where I'm going, to the Jews. When are you going? I'm going in a period of history where the Jews have been oppressed They've been beaten up by the Assyrians, and by the Babylonians, and by the Greeks, and they're in a time of oppression under the Romans. They are hopeless. That's when I'm going to go. Well, who are you going to go to? I choose a 14-year-old virgin named Mary, a forgotten, insignificant woman that has really no substantial future And I'm going to go to her. At this point, an angel walks up. Carrying a clipboard. And he says, I've been doing some thinking. I've got it all mapped out. Go to the capital, Jerusalem. That's where you make your grand appearance. Your attire, majestic robes. You walk in. I'll cue the fireworks. It'll light up the sky. Stars will begin to fall from the sky. The heavens will crack. The angelic chorus will begin to sing Handel's Messiah as you make your entrance. And Jesus says, "Uh, here's what I'm thinking. Swaddling clothes. I'm coming as a baby in the frailty and vulnerability of a baby, not to the capital city, to a podunk town called Bethlehem, not to crowds that are gonna applaud me. A few shepherds will see me. Yeah, the angels can sing, but just for like 10 seconds and not Handel's Messiah, cause he hasn't been born yet. <laughs> I will then live a life where I will speak truth and be hated and mocked and spit upon and scorned and despised and betrayed. And then God, the Son, will die on the cross. It's important for us to really understand humiliation, to see with crystal clarity This is God becoming man. And angels are looking at this going, what is going on here? Can you imagine Jesus the first time he felt sleepy? Never felt that before. Never felt that in heaven. What about being hangry? (laughs) And Jesus is like, what's going on? I feel a little irritable. Now, some people get really uncomfortable with Jesus being fully God and fully man. Can you imagine God the Son experiencing body odor for the first time? Oh, my goodness, it's human stuff. For us, we avoid humiliation at all costs. And for Jesus every step that he walked was chosen beforehand before time the lamb slain before the creation of the world so we see jesus's humiliation in his birth we also see jesus's humiliation in his life let's let's uh go to the next slide please oh i forgot this so this is just you know The pactum salutis is what theologians call the God talk between father and son to save the world because theologians like to take really simple concepts and make them really difficult so that they go over our heads and we're all impressed. The pactum salutis is simply the God talk between father and son, God's love before time began, God's love for you. So that brings us to the second thing I want you to see. Christ's glorious humiliation is seen in his life. So let's interact on this just for a minute. I need you to help me out here. There are many things that Jesus did that were amazing. What amazes you? An amazing thing that he did. What did he do? He healed the blind. blind. Great. He lowered himself. himself. Walked on water. water. Washed the disciples' feet raised the dead, ran with the, bulls. <laughs> ran with the bulls, thank you Mick helped trying to make an entrance into the sermon, from the dead. rose from the dead, <laughs> ran with the bulls, rose from the dead, ah. here's my point, some of you probably saw where I was going and you tagged on, you jumped on the bandwagon and knew I was going to humiliation. You know what we didn't talk about is Christ's humiliation between him and God the Father. And this is startling. This is startling. This is God before God. And I want you to look with me at the Gospel of John and see what Jesus says. John chapter 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, them, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. Only what he sees the Father doing. What? What is Jesus doing toward God the Father? It's like I will do nothing on my own. John 5:19 For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Next verse. John 5:30 I can do nothing on my own. Let's skip forward to John 8:28. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. When I die on a cross, you'll know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. This culminates in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus saying, not my will but yours be done. You guys know the Bruce Almighty movie from years ago? You guys seen that? And so there's this scene, I love this scene, uh, God, Morgan Freeman, endows Bruce with all of God's almighty power, and he does what every single one of us actually does in real life. Bruce Almighty says, I am Bruce Almighty, my will be done. And then there's the parting of the red soup, remember that? I wanted to show that scene, but I knew I was stretching it. That phrase, my will be done, is woven into the fabric of human nature. And what Jesus models for us in this glorious humiliation, he humbles himself before God to live a life of complete surrender in a way that is profoundly beautiful i had this epiphany a couple of weeks ago i realized jesus really isn't my example and i realized this because we we all think this way when we look at jesus in some of his most humbling and beautiful moments, like when he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. I I know we do this. I know we think this. We think, well, yeah, I mean, temptation, but he's God. I mean, how hard could it be? Right? We explain away the very human example, because every single one of us has a choice To live like Jesus, to pattern our life after him by living a life of surrender. But we explain it away by saying that he's God, which is missing the entire point of the incarnation. That Jesus came down and took the form of a human being to be a real model for us on how to actually live and it's right here that there is profound beauty because we live in an age that really is a lot about fame if you think about the shows whether it's the voice american idol america's got talent whatever your favorite show is The spotlight turns on a human being and we admire and give praise and say, look how awesome that is. And Jesus, while doing all of these amazing things, took the spotlight off of himself and put it on God and said, God is the one doing it through me. It's not about me at all. He humbles himself before God. Let's look again at Philippians chapter 2. Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, that is, he was and is God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he was equal to God but did not hold on to it. He let go of it. And emptied himself and took the form of a servant. So when we look at Jesus, we see this connection between God the Father and God the Son. God the Son saying, the spotlight is off of me. I am your servant. The book of Isaiah looks forward to Christ 700 years before it is written. And Jesus is called the servant of the Lord to model for us how to live and how to experience life the way it was meant to be lived. I mean, you think about it. If we really follow Jesus' example, we would find ourselves using these words. We would say, I surrender my life to you. We would say, not my will, but yours be done. When our life gets interrupted with a huge nasty, like, I really don't want to do this, interruption, we would gladly yield our time to God and in the service of people. It's kind of interesting. I go to the 7-Eleven near my house, and uh, everyone there calls me boss man. I, I, you know, t- I don't know why. They, I don't know if they all got together and talked. You're a great I love you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you for that clarification too. So the, the interesting thing here is that Jesus, as he's walking on the earth, he's the boss. And yet he says no, every single time. And here's what I want you to get. And I, I hope this illustration makes a little sense to you. It, it may be a stretch, but we're a bunch of wild horses. Our culture, we want freedom. We don't want anyone to tell us what to do. On the Enneagram, which is a personality test, I'm an eight. I don't want anyone bossing me around. Go Aids, yeah. We're a bunch of wild horses. We, we don't want anyone controlling us because then we feel weak. But the thing I want you to see about this, this is not Weakness. Can you go to the next image please? Weakness is lack of power. Meekness is yielding your power to the direction of God. And that is the fulfillment, that is the epitome, that is the top of the mountaintop for a human being to say, I yield myself to my God who loved me. I will humble myself, I will humiliate myself because he did that for me. Does anyone recognize this next image? Anyone know who that is? Corey Ten, Ten Boom! Very good! She, uh, a very famous survivor of uh, the Holocaust, and she became a very renowned public speaker. And crowds would come to hear her because she was so powerful, small little woman with a big voice and a big message. And someone asked her one time, they said, does this ever go to your head? Do you, do you ever just feel tempted at all with the glory of it all and, and being famous? And she had a confused look on her face and she thought about it and then she said, do you think the donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem ever paused to think that all that applause was for him? So friends, I invite you to follow the example of Corey Ten Boom and of that donkey as we turn the spotlight on to God. So we see Christ's humiliation in his birth. We see it in his life, and we also see it in this third way. Christ's glorious humiliation is seen in his death. Let us be crystal clear as we look at this. Let us not miss the beauty that is found here. Hebrews, Chapter 1, verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Look at those words. Say it with me. The exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What that means is if you look at Jesus, you see with crystal clarity the character, the values, the heart of God the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. And once you see this, you can't unsee it. So at the Last Supper, Jesus' disciples sitting with the creator of the universe, God the Son, God incarnate. And Jesus says this in John chapter 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? once you understand the incarnation. So let's return to this image of the cross. When we look at Jesus, we see the attributes of God. We see the kindness of God. We see the goodness of God. We see the truthfulness of God. We see the power of God but we also see something that I can't get over. God is self-sacrificing. God is not on a power trip. God is so beautiful, he says, I will give up my all. When we think of God the Father, we must, it's not like Jesus is self-sacrificing and God is not. God so loved the world. Jesus is only reflecting the self-sacrificing nature of a God who will literally die for the sake of human beings. And I find that a beauty worth following for the rest of my life. You know, our culture has embraced, without substance, the value of human beings. We will, on the one hand, say there is no God. We evolved. There is no God. And yet, we act as if human beings have this intrinsic value we show human beings random acts of kindness. Not just Christians, everybody does it as if they can't help but do it. But Jesus' example is what shows us the unlimited intrinsic worth of every human being. C.S. Lewis gave this example of the diver. You know, the crazy, crazy divers that jump off these high cliffs in like Acapulco. So I want you to imagine this diver. This is an illustration of his humiliation. Christ in heaven, the diver standing on top of the cliff. The diver looks down at what could be his death. Christ looks down at what surely will be his death. And he leaps into the air going down. Down, down, and he hits the water and yet still continues down into the green water. And then into the black water, and then into the ooze and the muck in the mire of the bottom of the ocean. And he grasps what he came to get, and then turns back upwards, his lungs burning with a desire for air. And he comes back up and breaks the surface of the water, holding in his hand the thing that he came to get. That diver is Jesus, and the thing that he came to get through his humiliation is you. And if that don't make you feel good about yourself, I don't know what will. Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man, humbled himself before God the Father in the way that he lived, humbled himself to the point of death. Please don't miss this, because God himself is humble. We serve a humble, mighty, self-sacrificing God. Will you humble yourself before this mighty and humble God? Behold the glorious humiliation of the Christ. Behold the man is the way Pilate put it. Behold the back that has been shredded by a Roman scourging. Behold the face of the Christ that has been bruised both by the slaps of the Jews and the fists of the Roman soldiers. Behold the sweat on his brow, the capillaries that have even burst, leaking blood out of his love. Behold the crown of thorns, which was meant as mockery by the Roman soldiers. But to us, we say, yes, crown him, crown him with many thorns. Behold the man, the humiliation of the Christ, And it all began with his birth. It all began with what we celebrate this season. The Apostle Paul would look back and reflect and give a summary on this whole humiliation of the Christ, and he put it this way in 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich in glory in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty, you, your life would be made rich by following the example and by worshiping the beauty of the Christ. I want to give you an invitation here this morning. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I invite you to bow your heart and make this your day. Make today your decision point just like mine, came at a certain day, a certain moment in time, when the Holy Spirit was tugging on me and I knew He died for me. Make this your day. For those of you that are Christ followers and yet you relate with the thought that, man, I'm not, I'm not all in. I haven't walked in this surrender that, that we're talking about. Make this your moment. Surrender. And to all of us as a church and congregation, make this our moment to walk in random acts of kindness, knowing the inherent worth of every human being, knowing that that person that no one else thinks of, God has, and you can too. Would you stand and pray with me? And as I say that, what I mean is I'm going to pray and give you an opportunity to speak to God yourself. Do not just listen to my words. Echo my words. Echo my words this morning. Let them be your words. Let them be your heart before a humble God. Let's pray. Great God creator of everything I invite you in I ask you to live your life in me Live your life in me. Teach me the way of surrender. Open my eyes to see those around me. And let me join you. In a glorious humiliation from this day forth through the power of the Holy Spirit and to the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus. We'd like to sing a song for you. Um, I say they, not we. Um, We'd like to invite you to just experience this song and reflect. You can remain standing if you'd like. You can sit if you'd like. You can bow your knees if you'd like, but reflect on the humility of Christ as we enter this season of celebration.